Welcome to Stocking to Malone, episode six. My name is Micah Utrecht. Namaro Stevens. We're joined here in the Stocking to Malone studio with a special guest, our friend Miles Camp Lassen. Hello, Miles. Hello, happy to be here. Miles is a community editor at Indie Times Magazine, also our office mate. Hold on, hold on. You know what that sound is? Cracking a cold one. With the boys. <laughs> These guys keep talking about this meme. I still haven't even seen this meme yet. I'm the old man of the internet. I have no idea what's going on. This here. is Miller Lite. It's horrible. <laughs> like, this is, no. I just trust you guys that this is an actually lit meme. We went on a field trip to uh, Chatham yesterday uh, as part of the nationwide strikes that were going around. Nationwide strikes that were going on around the country for AT&T workers. This man, R.L., almost didn't want to go. I had to drag him out of his house. <laughs> I had to, you know, I needed to wash clothes and stuff. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, was, I was ironing my pants. Yeah, even when he did agree to go, I was like outside of his house. I'm like, hey, I'm outside. Let's go. He's like, I'm almost done ironing my pants. I was like, this man has we, to be wrinkle-free on the listen, picket listen, line. Listen, listen, listen. We were going deep to the south side, all right? We were going deep to the south side. I was not about to be around a bunch of black people wrinkly ready to get roasted i was not going out like that i was not getting flamed on the picket line not mm. well you look crisp you had that top button swag on the, <laughs> you did, on with the, the little necklace you know <laughs> yeah. we also had some of the best jamaican food that i've ever had in my entire life shout out what is it what is that place called tropic tropic something 79th street yeah. oh it was right you, you, right you, off of, it was like 79th and cottage grove it was worth the drive just for that that lunch less than 10 bucks for the curry goat the oh the whole thing was amazing but we were going there in order to join the picket line on the south side for at&t workers one picket line of many uh with uh, 40,000 workers going out on strike all across the country it was pretty incredible to be amongst uh workers Many of them striking for the first time. Uh, we went to the AT&T store on Cottage Grove and 86th Street down in Chatham. And it was a pretty small store, but the employees there were, were out on strike. And it was part of 40,000 strong uh, strike across the country. There was hundreds of stores, 36 states participated. Um, and this was the biggest at&t strike in over five years so uh pretty historic and it comes on the heels of course of the massive verizon strike it was also forty thousand workers but of course lasted much longer and eventually resulted in them getting a much fairer contract uh at&t is also in the midst uh, workers are in the midst of a contract negotiation they're demanding fairer wages and more job protections because what they've seen is uh massive outsourcing of jobs and those are largely to um, areas and to countries that don't have the same type of union protections which just means there's more of the race to the bottom um, and the context here is really interesting because the one of the effective parts of the messaging of this union has been to let the employees know the massive discrepancy in pay between the ceo uh, randall stevenson who is making 28.4 million dollars a year. Randall Stevenson? That sounds a little close to R.L. Stevenson. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was me. It was me. Well, Randall and Randall was part of the uh, some of the, the chants that were going on, too, was, <laughs> was mocking Randall by name, which is interesting. He's also uh, friendly with 
Donald Trump, our Mr. Perez. Uh, they he was the on a orb toucher himself, <laughs> <laughs> the orb fondler himself. Yeah, he Trump has definitely cemented himself as a supervillain after this past <laughs> weekend's uh, uh, experience down in uh, Saudi Arabia. So. Randall Stevenson making huge amounts of money at the same time these em- em- employees are being forced to offer more of their uh, money to cover healthcare costs, the company itself making a million dollars a month in profits. Um, they're clearly, you know, a, a, a profitable company. They could afford to pay their workers more. And isn't there some merger that's going on between Comcast and Yeah, so they're, well, they're actually trying to buy Time, time Warner. And that's going through all kinds of uh, reviews right now because it would be a massive merger. They're paying up to $85 billion. And it would basically wipe out the idea of there being competition or even any kind of free market in the telecom industry. So this is the backdrop to... Hey, I don't mind that, though, because we should just nationalize. Well, it would be one thing if it was under (laughs) under, uh, public control. If Bernie had won, then (laughs) we'd be talking about nationalizing. And then, you know... We dissolve parliament, all power to the Soviets. You know what I'm saying? That's the vision. But instead, we're stuck here with the orb toucher. <laughs> yeah, we have an orb toucher here. Who is, you know, Randall Stevenson is praised because Trump has talked about lowering these corporate uh, taxes, which is something that, of course, AT&T is in favor of. The employees, on the other hand, are in favor of getting a raise. So that's one of the reasons they're out there on strike. Nope. I was driving around the city over the weekend as the strike was happening. It was incredible because I would be in random parts of the city and I would just see an AT&T store and there would be half a dozen people outside of it. Yeah, a couple times I saw people, both AT&T workers and people from socialist groups like the uh, ISO and uh, DSA. And uh, But it was all over the city. like Much like when the Chicago Teachers Union went on strike in 2012, everywhere you would go during that strike, you would see these workers who are out on strike. The same is true of AT&T because there's AT&T stores everywhere. There's something like 20 or 30 AT&T stores in the city. So it was everywhere you went. And uh, the one we went to uh, was a, a very small store in a very far-flung part of the city. You know, sort of not quite far south side, but but pretty pretty far down there. Uh, and it was like in a strip mall. It wasn't even on a main drag in Chatham. It was like set back in you know next to i don't know what like check cashing places and just in a kind of uh uh you know strip mall wasteland uh, and then we got there and there's you know half a dozen uh AT&T workers picketing uh and in a couple more than that uh members of the Democratic Socialists of America they're supporting them so it was a very intimate picketing experience plus uh, it was different also because it kind of felt like we had the home court advantage because most of the time I've done actions or done activist things, it's been in a financial district or a business district or or if it's residential, we're going after like the CEO or head appointee of like some um, some well-paid person basically. And so this was different because we were actually just in a neighborhood that was a working cl- clearly a working class neighborhood. Um, so it, it changed the dynamic. So every person that was walking by, if I talked to them about like what was happening, they were like, yeah, people would chant very readily. Everybody uh, honked. They're like, please honk. Everyone honked. Yeah. There were people, some of the people that I talked to were union members themselves and they were, um, excited about what was going on. So the, the 
I had never been in a space where it was that where the where the workers weren't the only working class people around, like clearly working class people, I should say. They weren't there. There were no illusions of like, oh, we're middle class or, you know, that was not the, the context. So I think that changed the dynamic somewhat and also created fostered this more intimate kind of uh, uh, um, interaction between us and the customers in particular. Um, but it also was weird interacting with the cops, too. We had basically free reign, though, to like, at least when we first got there, we were just like, there was a speaker blasting music, <laughs> yeah. we were just sort of we're like... We're cussing in it. Like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were, uh, we had some good times uh, trying to change some of the words of some, you know, famous hip-hop songs and to be about the contract fight, like uh, the Jadena classic man, like, turned it into, need a contract, man, and <laughs> the workers loved it, they were, they were getting down on it, we had some other ones, though, right? Yeah, we had the, hold up! Hold up, we on strike. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, the the workers seemed to appreciate that, so that was that was good. Um, but like we like we said, it was a very in, intimate experience, and like the reason that it's worth talking about, I think, is because we had so many of these very personal interactions with workers and with people who were trying to who were, who were about to cross the picket line until they saw there was a picket going on. Yeah, because. The people that I talked to, that I got a chance to talk to, that were potentially going to sh- cross the picket line, they weren't there to buy buy stuff. No, virtually no one was coming in to buy anything, actually. They were coming in to pay bills, or there was a, a problem with the phone that they, like, they weren't looking to get a new one. They were trying to get it repaired, you know? So that, again, kind of goes back to the working class character of the of the neighborhood, as far as the types of customers that were coming in, it wasn't a bunch of people that were like, "All right, I'm about to drop seven hundred dollars on a new, on a new phone, and you better not get in my way." You know, it was like I'm struggling to pay a bill, and I was, and I could very easily connect that with the struggle that the workers were going through to pay bills themselves, and that worked really well to um, get people to not cross the picket line. So when we first got there, the person who we were first drawn to or at least who I was first drawn to talk to was this worker who we'll call Rita uh, who you interacted with a lot RL who told me that she had worked at that store for 13 years uh, and was very clearly the sort of most dynamic presence on the picket line she had a whistle <laughs> whistle tell me if you think I'm wrong but to me it looked like the picket line was sort of giving her permission and giving her space to work out some anger and frustration that she had about her job and maybe about her life more broadly. Uh, you know, the, it was all out there on the picket line in yeah. this strip mall in Chatham, uh, in the middle of this parking lot, uh, and it was kind of a, an incredible thing to see this kind of raw human emotion coming out on this picket line. She was saying to me like, "Oh, I'm not usually like this. You know, if you come in on Monday, you know, I'm usually quiet." Blah blah blah. But she was so compelled by the abuses that she had suffered to use this space to really stand up for herself and to um, to fight that she was just like she had. It was clear that she hadn't had this kind of opportunity before, and so it all came kind of flooding out. That was that was hard to watch to a degree. Like the organizer in me was like, oh, like she has a lot of potential to be like a strong leader in this space, but. Because, like, this is brand new for her. She's never had the space to really let any of this out. 
it's clouded her judgment. So actually, she wound up almost going to jail. Actually, you uh, saved her from the uh, the slammer. It got real close. Yeah, I mean, we like. I mean, I, I hadn't really this conver- Most of this conversation was kind of hush hush, like that I was having with her, the cop, and the mall cop. So let's like take a step back and like explain what was going on. So we're in the strip mall, right? So um, there's mall security. And so the managers in the store were upset because we were in front of the door and we were turning away customers, you know, all of this stuff that was slowing down the business. So they, and they had a, they had beef with Rita in particular, but just any of the workers. And so they were calling mall security. And then the security guard internally was like, we're going to call the cops. And Rita's like, go ahead, call the cops. And I was like, all right, here we go. It's, it's, it's lit. So... Um, First of all, like a number of cops like circled around. You all noticed the first ones. Well, when we first got there, the cop showed up. He seemed in good spirits, and Rita was like, "Shine your light on me. I want you know I want a good backdrop for a picture." <laughs> right? She flexing for the gram. Yeah. You know, <laughs> she definitely. There's a whole lot of Instagram flexing going on. But like, so those were. I don't know what what department they were in, but that was early on. When the when mall security finally called the cops, then a, a like um, squad car came up. CPD and, squad car. Yeah, CPD. And so at that point, it got real. So the mall security was mad because, like we had described, this was probably Rita's first chance to really let loose a lot of this stuff. And she was also anybody in the way was getting it, including the mall security cop. And the problem with that was that the managers had called in the mall cop to be the buffer to receive her anger, which, uh, you know, was counterproductive for our purposes and, and for hers. The mall cop who probably got paid as much, if not less, than Rita. Right. So the mall cop was really frustrated. There were there were tears welling up in her eyes, you know? And she that's when she was like, you know what, officer? To the, to the CPD cop, she says, I want them off the property. Yeah, I want them off. And that was when I was like, okay, this picket line's over now. Let me try to let me try to de-escalate this. So I first I get in between Rita and the mall security. Uh, and so I start talking to the mall security person. I'm trying to organize her. I'm using all of the skills I learned. I'm trying to actually make a fat, very quick connection with her in order to de-escalate the situation. So I ask her, like, have you ever worked a job where you had like shitty bosses and she's like yeah yeah I was like yeah well this is Rita's like basically one chance to really like let loose on that and it's not about you the bosses have actually called you in here to to like block them from getting her right rightful anger you know and she's like okay yeah okay but still you know it's wrong and I was like I get it you know she challenged your authority I get it we, but we can work this out. Like, this is our first time doing a picket line. Let us, like, train up on it and figure it out. So we were able to kind of de-escalate from there. It was weird, though, for me politically, trying to, like, form solidarity with this cop, you know? I'm pretty sure she had a gun, right? Yeah. Yeah, she had a gun. Yeah, protect so, the minimal, man. Yeah, so, like, it was weird being in a position where I'm trying to create a common bond there where because like in my activist days it was always like fuck the cops all day son like i had never been in that situation before but i had been i had organized pickets before i don't know that was that was intense i don't know what did you all think of that 
Well, one of the things I found interesting was the uh, other cop, the CPD cop, said uh, to Rita and to the group of workers at one point, you know, I'm just trying to help you. I want to show you the right way to do this, <laughs> you know, as if the cops have the best interest of the, the workers, you know, striking here. But it does go to show that there is kind of this traditional way in which picket lines are organized and laws are respected and things like that. And clearly this in this particular space that was being um, it was very new to both the participants and to the public that was being you know impacted by it. So there was a sense of there's no rules here. Clearly there had not been a you know staff organizer set out sent out there to let people know exactly how to um, to do it. So some of that was be just being done through responding to uh, what the mall security was asking for to keep moving, to not block the doors, these kinds of things. But um, but it goes to show that there's you know this was kind of a very specific uh, form of interactions between workers and cops that was um, being you know made to happen because of these outside abstract forces of capital flows and you know corporate profits and stuff. But when it comes down to actually on the ground interactions the workers themselves were frustrated and they were letting that out in ways that were probably unanticipated by you know any organizers or by union staff or anybody else and so it just had to be figured out by the people that were involved which happened to be us, uh, us in, in this situation <laughs> not that we were you know leading it by any means but trying to help to do some work in de-escalation uh, and i think we were though in a sense like we were all there were a lot of different leadership opportunities, though. I, I do think, to a degree, that's what I think of group like DSA, what we can do. Because the union can't actually get train every single worker that would walk out of a store for something like this. So that was part of what was great about what we were doing, was that we were entering this, this field to um, work in actual solidarity, to come up with how are we going to do this? You know, not that like we're the authorities on it so much as like, okay, like the cop, like we know we've been on picket lines before, for example. So we're like, the cops are going to come because of X, Y, Z. And this is what you need to know. We were like telling them on the fly, you know? And I think that was useful for us to kind of be that kind of resource for them. Um, and it helped them to, to develop like talking to the customers too. Like uh, when I would go out and talk to them, one customer was coming in that, again, one of the bill paying types, like, I just am here to pay a bill. And I was like, hey, and I uh, grabbed one of the workers and I was like, why are you on strike? You know, after talking, I had talked to the customer a little bit before that, but then I got the worker to come and tell her. And she actually quoted the $28 million mm -hmm. um, salary for the CEO. So they knew like a lot of these things, but Again, there hadn't been this training that went into like how we're going to channel these stories. And she was talking about what she needed and why she was frustrated, but also like how much money the company had. And so so it was a team effort, I think. Um, well, and, and stepping back again, too, I mean, one of the reasons this, I think, is an important story is because the whole goal of this is a short term strike. You know, the three day strike that was called um, and the membership uh, authorized it unanimously. But it was meant to be an economic effect on, on the company. And that, from our experience, we clearly saw that. You know, people were, we in the short time we were there for a few hours, saw at least 10 people turn get turned away. And they weren't 
really forcefully turned away. They were, it was through discussions with them and explaining why they were on strike. And we saw people get back in their cars and drive away. And it's a pretty incredible thing. Right. One of the first customers that rolled up when we got there uh, was a guy who looked like he had, you know, it was a Sunday. So he had just come from church. He was like in his suit. He had his like brass name tag on, you know, which indicated he was somebody special in that church, I guess. And he was a deacon. He was, oh, he was a deacon. Okay, it you talked to him. All right. <laughs> and he was a flight attendant, right? Did you, yeah. you talk to him? For United. And they have a flight attendant's union at mm-hmm. United. They just and got their contract. What was amazing to me was that this guy comes here with business to do. And as we said, we were in this, you know, isolated uh, strip mall type area. There were no, like, cameras around recording, like, what was going on, like... He was just there and had to, you know, he, he saw the picket line and he had this instant kind of moral, you know, bone deep uh, reaction. Like, oh, it's a picket line. I'm not going to cross this picket line. Uh, and he asked for a sign and uh, he held up a sign for a little while uh, and was protesting with the workers. And just to see that kind of, he didn't even think, right? He just rolled up and he's like, oh, this is, there's he's a, a sign of class member. struggle here. Yeah, like I'm a union member. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm with these people. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing to see every time that ha- I'll never get sick of seeing that, you know, somebody who clearly, you know, made a plan out of the other day, you know, they've got a life and they probably got a million things. He's a deacon. He's an important guy. He's got a million other things he had to do that day. But like without even thinking and without even, you know, as I said, being in front of a camera or, or you know, nobody was going to see him making this decision except like the dozen of us who were there and you know him himself, himself and, and God, I guess, and uh, and he made that decision without even thinking, and that's that's an incredible thing to see. That's why the union density like matters. Why the fact that in the private sector we're only at seven percent? Yeah, on that point, it's not just the when you have seven percent of the workers of workers in a union that those seven percent have access to collective bargaining and have higher wages and stuff. It is that kind of moral that gets developed in those people, right? Uh, and so the, the larger number of, of union members you have, the, the more that sentiment of solidarity with any instance of class struggle, wherever you may find it, is there. Because mm-hmm. you depend on that yourself in your own struggles. And that's the reciprocal nature of like an actual working class movement, not just merely like union bureaucratic mass growing, but actually what would it take to build a, a working class movement? And unions play a part in that, obviously. But what we saw was was deeper than that. Or relatedly, uh, black people actually have the highest union density in the country, in large part because, <laughs> shout out to last week's episode, public sector unionism. And so, uh, but what was interesting was that these were, these were private sector um, union employees that I was coming into contact with. And I should talk a little bit about the demographics too, because that was really interesting about this particular yeah. picket line. Well, Chatham is, I don't know, 90, 95, 96, 97, 98% black. Uh, the workforce there was uh, almost entirely black. I think one Latino guy, right? And mm-hmm. everyone else was a black woman. And, and of course, the customer base, everyone we saw was black. And all the workers were under 35, it seemed like. Right. Which Rita was, was 34. She's just on the edge. Which is true of the uh, the union did a mass picket on Friday that I went to that was in downtown Chicago. And all the workers there. I mean, they were mostly black and Latino, mostly women. 
and they were all extremely young. I had never seen anything like it except for a uh, Fight for 15 picket, but these were workers who were members of the union, which obviously Fight for 15, they're not yet members of a union. Um, so these were union members, dues-paying union members who were super young and were out there participating in class struggle. I think it'll be really interesting to see where this segment of workers goes, right? Because I don't know anyone else, any, any other... Uh, un workforce that's like this with, with, with those age demographics. So there were all of these cars driving up to the store, people who were wanting to pay their bill or get an upgrade or whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and of course, when they showed up, that was when we started engaging with them. And it was pretty amazing. Again, it was, a, it was a, only a handful of customers in, in the broader sense. Uh, but we had a very intimate experience with these customers. And people would roll up in the car and we would, you know, start trying to convince them to uh, not to come into the store. And you ran out to some of them and started talking to them like through their window to try to convince them not to come in. Yeah, I think I, I when I first got to the pick of mine, I was in wait and see mode. I, you know, I, I had never had any contact with these workers before. I didn't want to like assert myself without first knowing what was going on. So our tactics seemed to be in the beginning just to boo and just to yell at the customers mm -hmm. and uh that didn't really work so uh and i remember seeing online a lot of discussion from other dsa members like well what should we be yelling at these uh at these scabs customers you know coming in and and that wasn't really my mentality in that context like it made it very clear that there was potential for a working class solidarity to exist here so I went about trying to forge that with the, the customers that were coming in, sometimes by myself and a time or two uh, with the other workers. It was clear to me that like that hadn't really been trained on, really, either by DSA or by the, with, by the workers themselves. And so what ended up happening is we would just, I would introduce myself. I would just say, like, there's a picket line here because the workers want better wages. And then I'd go into my toolkit and I would reach for any and everything to try to get this person not to come in, right? So um, if it was a matter of a bill pay, I'd be like, oh, they're going to go back to work at 7 a.m. tomorrow. I ain't know what, what time the store opened. I just said 7 a.m. and make it seem like, you know. And I was like, this is black, young black people doing something together to try to improve their lives and the, and the community here. And you can play a small part in that just by coming to pay this bill tomorrow at 7 a.m. That's it. That's all they're asking uh, of you. And then I was like, hey, hey, come here, come here. Tell them why you're on strike. And then she, uh, one of the workers would go in and just tell tell this customer, like, blah, you know, the CEO makes $28 million. We're not getting nothing. You know, this company ain't shit. Like, that, that kind of stuff. And we're fighting back to get it to get what we deserve. That's basically what they'd say. And at that stage, the person would be like, all right, I got to go. <laughs> I gotta get out of here, and uh, I I ended up hugging that one woman. <laughs> we had a real like Oprah moment. Uh, she she actually went, and rather than going because she was gonna buy a new phone, rather than going and buy a new phone, she was like, I was like, just wait until tomorrow. Listen, and then she volunteered to go to the like Target I think or something. Be like, I'm gonna get a burner phone from over there because she was going on a trip. And she wanted to have a phone for that. So she's like, I'm going to go over there and buy a burner phone rather than cross this picket line. Wow. That's that's, we had to hug that out. We had to <laughs> hug it out. 
You know, that was, that's why you were talking to her for so long. You were out there for a long time. Yeah, I was hustling, man. A lot man. of suspense out there. I was hustling, man. You know, it was class solidarity in motion. You know. There's also a, a video for larger uh, context in terms of like what was going on nationally. There's a video out of Indiana that's pretty incredible from the local there where they announced the strike on on Friday or began the strike. And there's a, a woman with a bullhorn in the actual call center, and she says, "Okay, here we go. We're walking out." And you see all these workers walk up, and they're wearing the red, and they walk out in unison. And it's similarly, it's mainly women, uh, minorities, and these are people, again, that have not been on strike before, that are that are here gathering together in solidarity with one another. So it's a pretty incredible thing, even though this was a, a, a three-day strike, it certainly built some new structures of understanding, you know, solidarity between the workers themselves, and brought in all these different support networks, such as DSA and other you know, worker centers, different yeah. groups that, that, that participated. We had a number of very positive experiences with turning people away and convincing people of the righteousness of these workers' cause and why they should go get back in their car and come back later or buy, go buy a burner phone or whatever it was. We also, though, had the up-close and personal experience of people who did not honor the picket line. And to me, that was a sort of uncomfortable position to be in a couple times. There were some women who uh, came up who also looked like they had come straight from church and they maybe it was because we, I think we were booing at that yeah. point. We hadn't quite <laughs> figured early. out how to get in on their get on their Miss Maxine and, and Auntie Shirley and them they weren't having it. They came in there. Other the other dude he had his head down when he went into the store. Mm-mm, not Shirley and them. They had their noses to the sky. Like y'all ain't about to get in the way of me. They didn't even buy nothing. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? They just wanted to cross the picket line. Yeah, they didn't even buy nothing, man. But that made me uncomfortable just because I was like, I don't want to yell at these women. They're like in their 70s or 80s. Or I was like, we got to boo-boo. <laughs> and that's the other side of this stuff, right? Is that like sometimes in order for an action like this to be successful, you're not going to convince every single person. And even if they're another poor working class person, all you got to do is just make life uncomfortable for them in order for the tic- the, the tactic to be successful. Because even if they go and buy it, maybe they'll be like, this is, I have been harassed coming into the store, you know, and they'll give the manager like their, uh, an earful and that'll also increase the pressure on them because the, they're ultimately, the, the bosses need to sell the contract to them. Another complicating factor here is that even the workers we talked to, their beef was not so much with the managers themselves, who obviously were still at work, they're not part of the union, they're not represented. Um, and AT&T has slashed their, uh, both the actual jobs for management over the past few years, and they're not getting paid great, you know? And mm-hmm. so this is the kind of uh, conflicting nature of, you know, protesting your boss, but then your boss has to kind of cover their shifts. And their the beef was not so much with the managers, at least with these workers here. Of course, it was with corporate and with the way that the, the company is being managed so much of it was making the enemy into AT&T as a company as an entity rather than necessarily just their boss even though these workers might have had some bad experiences but this speaks to the kind of messiness of what real class struggle actually looks like right like you don't get to have uh RL Stevenson or whatever his name is <laughs> uh, Ronald or whatever <laughs> it's Don, Donald Ronald something. I think it was Reginald <laughs> You don't get to have the CEO out there to be your scapegoat every time that you engage in this kind of industrial action. You're, you're 
taking it up against people who a lot of the workers told me that they were friends with those managers who are now being put out with them, right? Which just speaks to... I mean, that doesn't mean they shouldn't go on strike. It's just like, this is the messy kind of stuff that goes on when you go and on the strike. managers were... They ran out of there with their tails between their legs at the end of the shift. They didn't talk to a single person. On Friday, when I was downtown, uh, you could see into the store. They had the flagship store open and most of the other stores were closed. And they had had managers from all the individual stores around the city going to this flagship location to keep it open. And it was funny because the managers clearly, they had nothing to do, first of all, because we had kept all the customers from coming in there. And all the workers were like, they don't know how to use you know XYZ computer program. <laughs> they don't know how to do this job. And they said that earlier in the day that the customers had walked in and then like within their view and walked out and like they couldn't help me at all. Like they didn't know what they were doing. But they were also like, yo, but that's you know, that's my boy in there. He's he's cool. You know, he's always cool. To that's me. why we need the that's why we need the Soviets, you know. Worker councils. <laughs> the other thing that we saw on multiple picket lines uh, was how much the presence of a group like the DSA meant to these workers, right? On Friday when I was downtown, I was standing by some workers who I hadn't talked to and somebody from the DSA had just left and one worker you know, leaned over to a couple others and said, did you know that guy doesn't even work at AT&T? Like, he's just out here like supporting us and he doesn't even work here. And it was raining Friday, right? It was raining, it was miserable yeah. on Friday. Uh, and they were just like really clearly deeply moved by the fact that uh, people had done this out of uh, you know a sense of solidarity, and I'm sure the same was true in all the other stores I saw, where there were ISL members who were out there and other people who were just there to support the workers. Uh, it introduced them to this idea of solidarity, right? That it, it wasn't just them banding together as as one group of AT&T workers to fight against the boss. It was like you are part of a class, and and, and we're all fighting this stuff together. Yeah, I I talked to Rita about it. I was before I had identified myself as a member of DSA. I was like, "Oh, what do you think of these these people who have shown up?" And she was like, "DSA, I love them." And then I was like, "Oh, why?" And she said it was because they not only had shown up, but that they lent an ear. That's I think that's the phrase that she used. That they really listened to her, um, and she hadn't been listened to before. She says. So speaking of that. Uh, you know, I've, I got her information. We've talked a little bit uh, today. Today's Monday, so it's the first day that they've gone back. And we are going to try our damnedest to get Rita on this show. It's got to happen. Because I'm telling y'all, was Rita not a character? Rita is definitely a character. She a character. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know? Yeah. When I talked to her today, she um, she sent me back a, a fidget spinner bitmoji of like her dancing on some fidget spinners and spinning them in her head. I'm like... 34 how you how you hit to the game like this like i don't know what i bet she knows what that crack a tall boy means. <laughs> yeah. i don't know what that means <laughs> you're right yeah rita not playing around so we're we're hopefully going to be able to build on this um experience and like build a relationship because one of the things i talked to her and ooh, i'm scared to like debut my little dream on the show but damn it this is stalking to the line this is where dreams are made. <laughs> but uh, I talked to her about, like, you know, one of the things I'd like to see happen in a group in DSA is to build a jobs program. And not just, like, any old jobs program, but, like, so we talked, I actually talked to her about a jobs program. And her response to it was, like, 
serious enthusiasm because... Well, what do you mean by jobs program? Yeah, a jobs program meaning a way to actually do resume training and to go out into the neighborhoods and find people that are looking for work. Like, Because Illinois has a horrible unemployment rate, especially amongst black people where the un- unemployment and... Well, actually, the underemployment rate is like 50%. That means not only are there those the people that are looking for jobs, but it's people who don't have enough hours, right? So one of the things we need is to find people and connect them to union work and educate them around like why these types of jobs are significant to create like a real mission for like working at retail at an AT&T store. Like you're, you're actually doing something significant. Like that's how I felt at the gap when I was organizing there. So like you're there was talking, a big, you're talking about something like a salt program, like we discussed on a previous issue. Episode. Yeah, like a little, a little different than a salt program because these would be the salt salting that we talked about on the other show was where a place was not unionized yet. But this, what, what I was talking with Rita about, was a in a shop that is unionized. Wait, that's also salting. It's a program to actually give her some backup that's what i asked her about i was like how would you feel if like more people who were down for this fight like you were were in your shop ready to fight and she was really excited about the prospect of that not only would that help her shop out but it would also give us a way to actually get into communities and and build this kind of working class dynamism so even if a person doesn't get placed at a an at&t store for example, they'll still know about the struggle there. They'll know about what union um, work means for the class conflict at, at hand. And we'll be building a, an actual movement through that. So I'm really excited to see like where how this can f- generate momentum towards that kind of a, 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 a program and to have a DSA that is, has, its like real, has its toes, 10 toes down mm-hmm. in, the, in the working class struggle. One of the things I personally took from this field trip of ours was the uh, jerk chicken. (laughs) (laughs) The 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 restaurant, by the way, is Tropical Island. Yeah, I was looking at it on my phone. (laughs) You gotta get that lunch special. Nine dollars. Nine dollars. Two sides. Two sides. And rice and beans. And the meat. I got I got the grains and potatoes. I heard the yams are pretty good. The yams are very good. And that corn. What's what's the yam? Well, what I really took personally from it is that there's great, you know, potential for, for you know, the, the, the fact that we have a reactionary government in place and we have this, again, super villain Donald Trump touching the orb across uh, <laughs> across the ocean. We're, there's so much anger and agitation right now and there's great potential in that for people to, to, to grasp upon. Even people that are disconnected from day-to-day politics from whatever's right. going on in terms of scandals and you know government wait, whoa, whoa, constitutional whoa. Are, you with, are, we, are you with our boy Zizek? <laughs> are you is this a Zizekian argument? Are you an accelerationist now? Is this is this is <laughs> no. <laughs> no reference to Zizek on this podcast. <laughs> don't 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 He's rubbing his nose. The, Miles is rubbing his yeah, nose yeah. as he's saying this. <laughs> Me and, me and Slava, we them boys. I've been, I've been cracking cold ones with him all week. <laughs> Snorting something. Like no, it's just a, it's a it's a great moment to capitalize off of that uh, all that anger and frustration through actual working class struggle, and that's what I think we've been seeing. I mean, there's been so much, such a big rise in collective action 
over the past uh, number of months since the election, since the inauguration, and that's taken many different forms through mass street protests, through workplace actions. Um, and of course, we saw the Verizon strike uh, go on months ago, but this is uh, really building on that and showing that there's a potential for people that are not, again, not being used to going on strike, not used to walking off of the job, withholding their labor, you know, That's showing scary. collective power. You can but imagine. they were ready for it. You could tell. They were ready for it, and they were all on board. There was no dissent in the ranks there. So that's it just goes to show that there's, there's a great potential for people to be organized, not just as, you know, AT&T mobility workers, but, again, as, as a class, as organized workers fighting for broader change rather than just respect and fair wages, but actually to be recognized and to be uh, fulfilled as workers. The masses are ready to smack that fucking orb out of Donald Trump's hands. Right? Just let him go. Just unleash him. Unleash the beast. Unleash, unleash the kraken. Unleash the kraken, man. For 86 and Cottage Grove, you know? Yeah. So we wanted to talk about this. I mean, we witnessed all these things within less than two hours, maybe. Yeah. We weren't even there that long. And just to point out that a picket line like this is really the site of some very serious and 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 very moving to watch uh, scenes of raw human drama uh, and that's what class struggle that's what goes on in class struggle and sometimes it's messy uh but it's always uh it's always very lit and uh and emotional and, and extremely emotional right it is not it is not a kind of rational uh thing especially at a time when people are in such rough shape out there like it, it can take it can take very irrational forms but like this is this is what the picket line gives people the permission to do is to let out that and stuff. this is why like the reductive kind of brochalists or dude bros or whatever when that we can be accused of as if we don't embrace like the the feeling of this when we talk about class struggle it's not obviously there's a demographic thing where this is basically all black women that were not only at this shop but around there was a, a huge these are huge concentrate these types of jobs black women do them disproportionately so it's but beyond just the demographic question like when we talk about class struggle it's an affective thing like what uh, michael was saying in the beginning about how rito is able to let out these emotions that have been pent up you think about that if she's not getting them out at the bosses where else are they going right they're either internalized into her that these can this can manifest in drinking and all we had some in the course of our conversation we got into some shit you know where like not having an outlet for this adversely affects her life and the lives of and all of our lives you know so when we talk about class struggle being a vehicle for social transformation this is what we mean like it's not like socioeconomic status and we're just saying that's the most important no we're saying that this idea of exploitation being the root of how power is structured in the society is bound up with uh, various identity oppressions and just the the emotional uh, burden of like you know having your humanity uh, uh, denigrated and put down every single day as in order for someone else to have more than you, and that when the class struggle comes to a head, the all the feelings wrapped around that are often on full display, and that's why when you organize, you have to tap into emotions and feelings and stories and people. And so that's what we got to see. That's what we got to do. And we want to do more of it. So the takeaway point 
for this podcast is all y'all listening, get your ass to the picket line next time you see one. You'll, you who knows what you'll, uh, what you'll get, get to witness out there. You know, small brain posting about worker struggles on the internet, larger brain listening to this podcast about worker struggles, <laughs> highest brain get out there, get it with the, get with the strike. Something like that. Okay. <laughs> he tried to speak a meme. I tried. I, tried, I freestyled the meme. He tried you can't do to that. Speak a meme. You can't speak a meme. You got you. You started this podcast with the crack open a tall boy. That was, was a That's reference. A meme. That was a reference. Okay, you actually tried to like verbalize a meme though. Hardcore. Listen, I'm, I'm glad this is. I just want to say as a guest here, I'm glad that this is a old school podcast. We're not using you know in post production adding and a cracking. Of a beer sound, we're starting. That was the, the real deal. Starting it off, it's like uh, Prairie Home Companion. <laughs> sound effect guys here, live, doing it live, yeah, live in the supply closet. Actually, are you the first in? Stu- no, no, no. We had one other. This, you're the first guest in the studio. It's true. Well, the first time of among many times. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd happen. I'd be happy to welcome. Be welcome back. But uh, don't want to be uh, too closely aligned. I don't want to be the stand-in for Zizek on the <laughs> To be clear, not a fan of Donald Trump's president. <laughs> Actually, we got to have another take on that later. Is Should Trump stay president? <laughs> Is that good or bad for us at this point? If Mike Pence gets in there and he's effective, fuck. This is a there's a broader that's a debate. Deeper, that's a that's a deeper debate for yeah. another episode, you know. Well, we'll be happy to have Miles back to discuss that or anything else, as long as there's not another guest, because we literally can't fit anybody else <laughs> in this supply closet around this bootleg studio that we've created here. So, how does it look to you, Miles? Uh, I feel right at home. <laughs> All right, thanks, Miles, for coming in. All right, my nice pleasure. Shout out to forty thousand eighteen T workers on strike. You can't right. see it, but we got our fists up for fists you right up. now.